The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So, a big welcome to everyone. If you're new, and a special, especially big welcome. And uh, we've been, for those who haven't been here, we've been looking these last few months at the ten paramis. The paramis are these beautiful qualities that arise naturally, strengthen naturally when we're waking up, when we're starting to see what we haven't seen in our lives, in our heart and mind. <clears throat> Excuse me, we'll notice generosity or renunciation or moral, a beautiful moral sensitivity or the energy of persistence or a real valuing of truthfulness, resoluteness, equanimity, loving kindness, and patience. So we'll be talking about patience for the next maybe three weeks as one of these ten paramis. You know, all of these uh, paramis, they're not so much a stance we take, you know, I'm going to be patient, or I'm going to be truthful, or I'm going to be wise, you know, that we probably get how neurotic that would be, just to, as if we could make a decision, <laughs> I'm going to be a patient human being, or I'm going to be a generous human being. It's not really respecting the force of stinginess, for example, or the force of impatience, or all the other forces. You know, it's really the paramis were going against the stream of our habit energies. I mean, it's not that we don't have some wholesome habit energies, but a lot of them really arise out of greed, hatred, and delusion, the three unwholesome roots as we talk about them in early Buddhism. So we, you know, we get to know these, the opposite of these unwholesome roots and all the varied expression of greed, hatred, and delusion like impatience, and we, we get to sense the other possibility. And for those who stay for the small group today or just find a time at home to have a conversation with a Dharma friend or somebody else um, who's doing their best to be more present in life, you can talk about patience and, and bring to mind with each other those places in our life where we're regularly impatient, where we feel like we're waiting, you know, we're leaning for, forward. And then just, you know, using our imagination and our intuition, what would patience feel like, look like in this situation? Like, for example, if traffic is a real thing for you, where, you know, you just, it evokes a lot of impatience or irritation or rage or whatever it might be. So just... Initially, just imagine not doing that. Okay, what would the alternative be? What would not being impatient be? And we might, you know, all we can do initially is maybe imagine suppressing the impatience. You know, like, I'm just not going to be impatient. But that might open, even that, as, you know, ineffective, inefficient as that strategy might be, we might learn a thing or two as opposed to just letting 
the impatient, the impatience keep going. The def- definition that from one of the ancient texts, this is after the time of the Buddha, a few centuries, um, but they often talk about these wholesome qualities as you know their function, their manifestation, and their proximate cause. So patience is said to have the characteristic of acceptance. Its function is to endure the desirable and the undesirable. Its manifestation is tolerance. And seeing things as they really are is its proximate cause. So if we want to be patient, we have to open, we have to be curious. Because patience really comes out of being connected. It isn't something we imitate, it isn't some contrivance or some demand that we place upon our mind, you know. You're going to be the most patient person. Generally, that leads to explosions of impatience. <laughs> you know you know how it is. It's like when we're the one or our friend, one of our friends is the one who's really trying to kind of tolerate something they find intolerable. And then when we're being a little, you know, mischievous, we try to just tip the person over the edge where they're exposed to their impatience. They're pretending to be patient. They're trying to be patient. But it's really a repression. As opposed to what is said in the tradition is the proximate cause for patients, which is really feeling and seeing things as they are. That's why, like, uh, I don't know if you remember at the end of the meditation today, the guided meditation, I, I kind of gave us this image of a solidity, like a huge, immovable edifice of patience. But not in, not in a rigid or fixed way, but I think more related to faith energy like having a deep faith that I can be right in the middle, patiently at ease until some appropriate doing needs to be done. And I'm not afraid of doing, I'm not afraid of movement, I'm not afraid of speaking, and I'm not afraid of keeping quiet and keeping still and not doing. And that's You know, it's sort of a paradoxical kind of stability because it's this very dynamic tipping point. Because I don't neurotically have to do or have to control or have to become, but I don't have to neurotically not do, not become, not speak. And that's really what patience is. It's the heart that's connecting and comprehending or discerning the way it is. And when we're in that place of being connected in that deeper, more subtle way, it's like we realize how easy it is to act on impulse, speak on impulse in a way that wasn't helpful to ourselves or to anybody else. And that the more we're aware, the more we're awake, the more we realize that our life, like how to be Mark, how to be, how for you to be you, it's 
not figure outable, <laughs> you know, in a sense of like, okay, I've written the manual of how to be Mark. It's just not going to be done. Because it's true for all of these wholesome qualities, and it's just generally true in terms of being a, a happy, skillful human being. It can only be figured out moment by moment how to be uh, skillful, how to be compassionate, how to be wise, how to live caring about the well-being of everyone can only be figured out in the moment, for just that moment. We never get the whole picture. As an egoic being, a self-centered being, I want the whole picture. You know, I want the whole map laid out. Okay, now I see it. This is how I live my life. This is my brand. This is my personality. You know, this is how I'm going to do my relationship with my partner. This is how I'm going to earn my living. This is how I'm going to participate with this issue and that issue and but in a way we live in the dark in terms of that full picture past present future but we're not in the dark because there is a way but the way isn't having the full picture the way forward the way that's trustworthy is to be fully connected deeply connected but not connected to my idea of who I am and how I should live my life, connected to the wildness of the present moment. And that's that, like, one of the pieces of that connection is the stability of patience. And the Buddha calls it the greatest austerity. I really like that. It's like, it will burn us up. It has to. It burns away all of the impulsiveness all of the reactivity, all of the fear of not knowing what I'm doing. Because part of inhabiting patience is like being like, I know that I don't know what I'm doing. I'm really comfortable knowing that I don't know. Because the reason I'm comfortable knowing that I don't know is I know action, choosing, doing, will arise through the process of connecting being present. Sitting still arises naturally when I'm present. Acting, speaking loudly, speaking truth to power happens when I'm connected. The skillful response, the appropriate response, isn't known until that moment where the sensitive heart is fully present, patiently present. Only then does the heart have a sense of I'm going to say this, I'm going to refrain from saying that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to refrain from doing, I'm going to do a backflip, I'm not going to do a backflip. And that's really hard from a self-centered or an egoic point of view, because um, it's really turning our life over to nature, instead of turning our life over to this imagined sense of me in the control tower who's supposed to have a plan. And uh, even though that never was true, we've imagined that it's true for a long time and it's hard to get over that habit. Even though that habit's never really worked for anybody, it's still a habit. It still has a lot of, I guess you could call it momentum or it has its own coherence even though in a Buddhist sense it's delusion. 
this idea that there's a me who, in a sense, owns or has this life, is responsible for this life. It's not to say that there isn't a difference between acting, relating, being skillful, and being unskillful. There's clearly the possibility for both, being skillful and being unskillful. And as somebody who cares, we want to understand well, what supports skill and what gets in the way. And what supports that skill is that patient presence, patient endurance. And that word endurance or perseverance, steadfastness, they're really important because part of what we have to endure, partly what we have to feel when we come into the present moment, are all of the impulses to do, to think, to speak, to act. It's not like those impulses are bad or good. They're just programmed impulses. Some may be appropriate, some may be very unskillful given you know the particular moment. But we want to learn how to be in the wildness of all of the impulses that are arising, that are being felt, that are moving in the body, heart and mind, right here, right now. Because otherwise, if we, if we don't know how to inhabit that space where there are a lot of tendencies, impulses, reactions, if we don't know how to inhabit that space, the alternative is for the mind to identify with the first strong impulse. And we identify with it, that's who we are, that's what we're doing, and then that that's the sort of the life of being on autopilot, where we're basically pushed around. The mind, this life, is driven by the existing habit energies that have the most momentum. We're not really fully a human being at that point. We're just afraid or haven't learned yet how to inhabit this ambiguous, confusing space of feeling so many possibilities. And a lot of what might actually be an appropriate response to the moment are not the loudest impulses or tendencies that are showing up in the moment. They may be a much quieter impulse to say this, to do this, to refrain. But we'll never know unless we have this sort of profound, soft, clear, patient presence where we're feeling the complexity. You know, all those impulses that we feel, it's just the, the past speaking to the moment. That's how we know there's a past. You know, there's no way, you know, we can't actually take a hold of the past. It is gone. But somehow we're pretty sure there was a past. How do we know? Because right now, there's such a rich movement in our hearts where does that rich movement, it's sort of the rich mom, uh, movement that's informing the present moment, where does that rich movement come from? Past impressions. And some of those past impressions are wise, useful, and a lot of those past impressions and tendencies are based on sort of a wrong understanding, a wrong interpretation of the past that happened back then, but are arising now as an impulse 
a reactive tendency in the heart, body, mind. We feel it on all levels, really, right? And we have to... Patience kind of creates that space for wise choices to refrain from doing or to actually do something. And again, it's not about... You know, there's a lot of wrong understanding that patience is somehow the equivalent of passivity or not doing. Patience is really an attitude, an understanding that the wise response, the appropriate response, the compassionate response requires this hanging out in this difficult place we call the present moment, where there's such a rich and complex and, if misunderstood, confusing movement of feeling. Because the past doesn't speak with one voice. Have you noticed? You know, the past and the way that it wants to inform the present. Because there isn't one Mark who has sort of distilled all experience into like, okay, I got it, it's me now, you know, and I've concluded this. No, there's just all these different lessons that were partially learned or wrongly learned or well-learned, right? These are all those layers of impressions that have been laid down in the past that then show up as impressions in the moment. And it's not cognitive. We don't figure it out by thinking about it. We just, in a way, we create the space for all of these impressions to reveal themselves. And then they're, then they're not in the past. They're being felt, seen, experienced here and now, in the moment. And it can happen very quickly in a matter of a moment or two. Or it may take several moments or several minutes or who knows. But as long as we're not clear, as long as there isn't sort of the green light where wisdom says, I know that I don't know, but this impulse seems to be coming from a wise and kind place. Feels worthy of, you know, being given permission to move into speech or action or whatever that response might look like in the moment. But we don't pretend that we're sure or certain. We continue to be patiently present with what we're feeling and seeing and experiencing. You know, it's sort of the opposite where a lot of what we sometimes, at least some folks are reinforced for is sort of that action piece. And in this sort of Buddhist practice, especially when we're talking about patience, we're really emphasizing the exposure of patience, not so much the doing. Because the trust is that the doing will happen on its own. Speaking up or not speaking up, doing something or not doing. Remember, just not doing something is an action. (laughs) A lot of times we think, you know, action is only when we're moving the body. No, just sitting there can be a very creative, bold action in the same way that standing up and speaking up can be a bold and creative action, useful action. But the question is, what supports skillfulness? Not so much thinking that I have to be the doer and being afraid of not being the doer, but being connected, as I mentioned earlier. 
to really emphasize the connection and the patient endurance of what's being felt, what's moving. And not, not in a hurry to figure it out. Not in the hurry for this moment to become the next moment. So there's a lot of um, that emphasis on humility it's really related to, you know, I mentioned patience as a kind of superpower. And this non-fear with not knowing, knowing that I don't know, or humility, which is really just the same as saying that, I, that the heart is open and curious, willing to learn, <laughs> willing to sort of let life inform the moment, you know, let the past and the present inform let the action, let the living of this life arise from the intimacy of the connection. Because otherwise, the living of this life is going to come from our neurotic thoughts or incomplete or imperfect thoughts that mostly have been conditioned by culture, you know, and fear and aversion and greed and delusion. But we can interrupt the imperfection and in, incompleteness of our cognitive understanding by growing roots into the present moment. Initially, it might feel a little contrived. Like, initially, it might feel like I'm holding myself back. And it's true, because initially, or not initially, the habit is just to ride the first big habit that shows up in the moment. And of course, that's who I am because that's what I'm feeling. That's how I'm feeling right now. That's how I'm seeing things right now. This is who I am. This is the conclusion I've made. So we misinterpret the strong initial impulse. We interpret it as me. And of course, I should know what I'm doing because it's me. <laughs> so we just do it. But what wisdom and patience allow is that recognition, well, that's just the first impulse being known, being felt. It feels like this. I don't need to be afraid of feeling that and not presuming it knows what it's doing. Imagine the life we would, would have lived if we just did the first impulse, always acted on our first impulse. I mean, I used to work with kids in uh, schools uh, that had uh, were having trouble, you know, with their behaviors, and uh, you know, a lot of it was, you know, the person, the child, just in the habit of doing the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, I like that. I'm going to take it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm angry at the teacher. I'm going to tell the teacher off. No restraint, no capacity to sort of feel the impulse, to realize it's an impulse, it's just an impulse, it feels like this. And in feeling the impulse, to have a, set, a sense of what that might set in motion. Oh yeah, that may not be the best thing to set in motion. Let me hang out and see what other impulses there are here in the moment that I might ride into you know, the next moment to sort of live out. 
It's really the way to live a creative and nimble, flexible life is this capacity for patience. Even though initially, you know, we sometimes interpret it as a kind of, you know, we hear these words like restraint, refraining from, and it just feels a little tight. But yeah, we definitely want that particular, it's an aspect of patience, a particular skill to know that there's a reactive impulse, to know that it feels like this. So it's not repression. We're totally aware. We're opening. We're giving it permission in a way to fully express itself as a felt movement in the body and mind, heart. So it's not repression. We're just not bringing it out in terms of we're not mentally proliferating. We're not speaking out loud. We're not acting it out through thought, word, or deed. We're just feeling it. We're letting it move, and we're understanding it for what it is. This is the past informing the present. It feels like this. Does it seem helpful right now to act it out in, in one way or another? I'm not so sure. Maybe not. Let me just keep feeling it. For as long as it's here to feel, let me keep feeling it. And when we feel it, it has the nature to sort of blossom and fade. And then we might notice some other approaches, other impulses. So in the weeks ahead, we'll talk about patience in three ways, as this sort of gentle perseverance or gentle steadfastness, this capacity to kind of let stuff move in a more... Um, dramatic way, patience can even allow us, this is the second kind of patience that we'll be talking about next week, especially patience with what's difficult, patience with insult and pain. And then the third is, is really patience as a way of accepting, like letting the truth land. A lot of our activity of thought, word, and deed is an avoidance of the truth of the moment. So part of patience is letting the truth of the moment reveal itself, letting it in, letting it touch the heart, so to speak. So let me just talk a little bit more. I'll share from Michelle McDonald Smith. Um, I'm sorry, Michelle McDonald. It used to be McDonald Smith, one of my teachers back in the 90s, used to teach a lot of the three-month retreats at Insight Meditation Society. Still teaches there. Wonderful teacher. And Michelle wrote an article in, in the handout that I put in the chat, and I'll do it one more time in case some of you didn't, who came in late didn't get it. Um, but there are several resources, including uh, an article by Gil Franzdahl on patience and Ajahn Sushito on patience, and Michelle McDonald on patience. So you can do some reading and then some traditional texts too from the Buddhist tradition on patience. So, but it, this is Michelle's um, take on this part of patience. It's really about this gentle forbearance. The first aspect of patience is a gentle forbearance. We may be the exhausted parent of a child who is having a fit over some baffling homework Perhaps patience in this case means taking a few deep breaths instead of yelling in frustration. 
Or we may be on the verge of making a brilliant retort to a co-worker, but we hold our tongue rather than say something hurtful. Even though our impatience is triggered, we can tap into a deeper reservoir of our motivation not to do harm. Gentle forbearance may feel difficult, even contrived. Right, We're going against the stream of our habit energies. And she writes, because it doesn't constitute true acceptance of how things are. But it is, nevertheless, a critical aspect of patience because it helps us restrain ourselves long enough to determine the most skillful action for the moment. So this first week, you know, when we're looking at patience, maybe especially keep in mind this forbearance knowing how easy it is to act in ways that cause harm, to speak in ways, and even think in ways that cause harm, we're willing to be patient, we're willing to refrain, because we don't yet know whether the impulse to think and speak and do is really going to be helpful. We're not sure yet, so we're going to be, we're going to refrain. And like uh, Michelle says here, it may feel initially contrived, but that's okay because we're trying to reduce the harm. You know, to get through the day, to get through this meeting, causing the least amount of harm. It will be imperfect, right? Nobody gets through life without causing ourselves or others harm. We're doing it all the time. But it's a really enlivening and beautiful aspiration not to cause harm. And that's a lot of with this general, this gentle forbearance, this gentle perseverance. It's like, I don't know yet how to be in this moment without causing harm. So I'm just going to hold back a little until I have a little bit more clarity on how to navigate this moment without causing harm. Because I know how easy it is to cause harm. Been there, done that. How many times have we, because we weren't patient, said something, done something that was really painful? Or we ourselves? I mean, I've done so many, just recently in the last couple of weeks, I just had a bad fall. Just because I was doing all this physical work clearing a tree that had fallen over in an impatient way. I was like really getting into getting it done you know, and like going to impress when my partner by how much work I got done, you know, I was impatient and I really hurt my body. Just, I fell back and really banged my elbow in a way that I'm not sure if it's ever going to be quite the same just because I didn't have that wisdom of patience. She writes uh, a related piece here that I think is really important because Related to the wish to not harm is also this wish to forgive. So she, Michelle writes, anytime we want life to be different than it is, we are caught in impatience. We lose our sense of humor and self-pity, despair and blame seep into the heart. Probably sounds familiar. You know, all those places. This could be a little um, mindfulness spell for us when we lose our sense of humor or blame or self-pity creeps in. And she writes, gentle forbearance includes the spirit of forgiveness. 
When we feel conflict with others, understanding their suffering is the first step in being able to communicate, forgive, and begin again. Right? We often feel like somehow, like I am the arm of karma. So when somebody's doing something that we think they deserve a karmic reaction, you know, they're being bad and karma has to sort of show them they're being bad. Do Is that true? The practice of forgiveness, Michelle writes, happens when we are able to realize the underlying cause of our anger and impatience. And this allows us to distinguish between someone's unskillful behavior and essential goodness. Serenity and calm develop as we learn to accept imperfection in others and ourselves. Yeah, and one of the phrases, a couple of phrases that I like, you know, one, some of you have heard me say, it's not easy being a human being. So when we're in that place where we're getting triggered, we feel like we've got to be the corrective, critical voice of the universe and let the person know how their behavior is off. We could just see what happens when we remember, you know what? It isn't easy being a human being. It isn't easy having a conditioned mind and heart. Oh, yeah. And then the other related thing is um, just understanding that uh, sometimes it's like this. So when we see somebody doing something that we think is less than perfect, you know, just that universal understanding. Oh, yeah. Sometimes our actions are imperfect. Sometimes it's like this. Sometimes I'm the one who's acting unskillfully. Sometimes it's another person. And to really see let's this person's so-called unskillful behavior, to really practice seeing it as nature. Yeah, this happens sometimes. People, because of ignorance, do unskillful things. doesn't mean we're not going to say something or do something. It just means we don't have to say or do something. That's that nimble place. So if it's if something can be said, something can be done that benefits the totality of the moment, benefits all, we're not afraid to be that person who says or does something. But if it isn't going to contribute to the well-being, my own well-being, the well-being of others, why would we say it? We don't have to be that critical voice. Like, I have to say it because this person, person's behavior is less than perfect. And it almost feels like some violation to truth if their imperfect behavior isn't called out. But is that really true? I know, I, this is, you know, I really have to work on this, continue to work on this in my life. This, you know, being a sensitive person with a critical eye, you know, just in terms of my temperament, I see a lot. I sense you know, my own imperfections and the imperfections of those around me. And I feel that impulse to sort of, you know, do something about it. And to, one thing we can do about it is realize, oh yeah, it's not easy being a human being. And sometimes it's like this. This is also nature, this imperfect world. And that's the forgiveness I think that Michelle is talking about here. So to end, I'll just uh, share. This is uh, maybe I'll uh, leave.
Gail Fronstel's article for you to read on your own, or I'll bring it up next week. But this is just a paragraph from Ajahn Sushito. And if you don't remember, he's one of our elders in our um, early Buddhist tradition here in the West. He's been a Buddhist monk in the Thai forest tradition for a long time, born in England, so an English person. Um, and in this book that I've linked to in the handouts, he writes, Patience may be the first strike... Uh, patience may at first strike you as a teeth-gritting hang-on-until-it's-over quality, but this would not be perfect patience, because in such a case the mind is still longing for the end of, of the experience. Aversion hasn't been relinquished. Perfect patience has the soft and heartful strength of having all the time in the world. I really like that. To rest in an experience. It relaxes the edge of time. The transformative power of patience is such that, as the mind relaxes its defensiveness and bristling, the annoying delay becomes an occasion for spaciousness, and the other person's irritating behavior is something you can meet with empathy as their unfortunate problem. Naturally, it also includes the wisdom to know what one just has to bear with and when there is the occasion to act in a clear and responsible way. Patience is not meant to transform you into a doormat, but to act as a firebreak on immediate impulses that will not bring around your welfare. And as our conditioning is often one of getting things done quickly as possible, it's skillful to check that attitude with wisdom. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.